Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you what may well be the last fun stop of, of <laughs> oh, this yeah. epic journey Friday. that we have been on since uh, shortly after the Christmas holiday. We are staying put f- during the Memorial Day weekend, trying to stay out of the way of those of you who are not as fortunate as we are and can't camp day after day after day as we have. We're going to proceed home after yes. the Memorial Day weekend. As you would have guessed, uh, the Memorial Day weekend is very busy. The campground that we're in, we made actually had to make a reservation for. And we got the last site. And we got the last site uh, for a rig of this size. And the campsite seems to be very full, even though the weekend has turned out to be very well cold, well, rainy, and we're able to do the podcast without any guilt feelings of missing out on other activities. I have to say, though, as I look back on this long journey that we have been on, <laughs> yes. um, as I thought about the northwestern parts of it and Vancouver Island, yeah. I was much more concerned about rain and cold yes, than I needed yes. to be. Um, well, We've had pretty much good weather pretty much all the time. So yeah, I guess it's and until we got to here be... to Anacortes, uh, it's been fine. Um, this has been a great summer to travel in, in this area, all the way from California. Well, it's all the way from summer. Arizona. It's not summer? Well, it's, it's <laughs> becoming summer. <laughs> this is a problem. <laughs> when, when my mother was oh. in her... <laughs> In her 90s, we would occasionally end up in the emergency room, and they would ask her things like, what month is it, what season is it? And she struggled with that for different reasons, I hope, than we are, because we keep following the good weather. And, and it's we're kind used of, to the warm weather being in the summer. It's kind of... Because we're from the Midwest. It's kind of been spring this whole trip, pretty but much. But that's our goal, is to follow the 70s. So as we near the end of this monumental trip for us of uh, over six months, this is is the longest we've lived in the motorhome. How has it been? I'm glad you asked because one of the things that I have thought about... Well, I gave it a lot of thought. <laughs> as we have traveled alongside many full-timers mm. is whether I am not a full-timer because I am lucky enough to be able to afford hanging on to our home and too lazy to make the effort <laughs> to clean it out and throw things away. And too sentimental to throw things away, uh, whether the full-time life would be fine with me. Until this trip, which is the longest Uh one we've ever taken, I have always been glad to go home, but felt equally glad to continue on. Mm -hmm. And now, after almost five and a half months on the road, I guess, that we've been, I truly feel ready to go home. And this has helped me to clarify in my own mind that if I have a choice, and luckily I do, I would prefer not to be a full-timer. And we... Really? I am thinking about the the wonderful folks we just met here in uh, Washington State who have sold their home and are going to go to Elkhart, Indiana (laughs) in the very near future to pick up a motor home very much like ours and begin a full-timing life that they won't like that I'm saying this. But I think this is an answer that everybody has to discover for themselves. And why is that? 
Why is what? That you don't want to do it anymore. Not anymore, but this time you're glad to be home. I think I am. Is it me? No. <laughs> <laughs> what else would it be? I it can't think, be the RV. I think I am ready for the conveniences of uh-huh. home. I'm ready for lightning fast internet. I'm ready for... <laughs> 50 amp full time. <laughs> kitchen counter space that allows me to prepare a meal without having to mm. keep putting things away. I'm missing my deep freezer in the basement where I can... Just put a whole bunch of stuff and make an impetuous decision about and what I want. And we can go to Costco anytime and buy what we and want. Buy what we want. I am missing the friends and family we have at home uh-huh. with whom we have more long-term relationships. We've met many wonderful people on this trip, including a, and a lot of listeners. It's been amazing this, this how many of amazing, you right? have tracked us down. And and I should add that I am sorry that we missed a few of yes. you who were nearby but not quite near enough by and we will be coming out this way again and hopefully we'll run into you then but it's nice to be with people who who have known you for a long time on occasion and i'm missing those people uh-huh. yeah i would agree I'm, I'm missing some stuff at home but uh the tr- life on the road in the motorhome has been good it's very comfortable yeah, and we have had no problems i'm not with complaining it. and of course we have another 2200 miles to go to get home because we are in Anacortes, Washington, which is about as far away and being in the United States as you can get from our house. So we have a long trip. And as a friend of ours mentioned, he drove 940 miles in one day uh, coming back from Florida. We don't do that. Yeah, I don't know. What is your strategy, dear listener, for cutting the days up and making it? We would do that and we have done that when we were still working people but now that but we he's have, not working he's retired but now that we have a fairly limitless amount of time we would not do that our goal is to go 400 miles ish a day and so when we have a lot of ground to cover when we have a lot of ground to cover because i have to do all the driving and that's that takes eight hours to go 400 miles and that's about all i'm willing to to do i think you lose your concentration and you become unsafe on the road if you start driving a lot more than that at 940 miles and of course we don't go quite as fast as oh, but he was driving an rv yeah i don't a know smaller one that's i would be interested to hear and maybe we could have a discussion about uh how far, How far you, should, you go. should go in a day and what you can expect to go in a day. Of course, most of this trip, we have gone a couple hundred miles at most. Typically, we've had a leisurely breakfast time <laughs> and stopped for the next destination yeah. early afternoon, maybe after eating lunch. And that's about it. And yes. that's wonderful. Yeah, so that's, we, what, yeah. that's what we so, like. And that's, a lot of people wonder how you can afford the fuel for your RV, but in actuality... At this moment, we have not fueled up for almost two weeks, and I'll be filling up tomorrow before we leave on our trip home. home, but overall, we don't fill up very often at all. Of course, having 150 gallons helps, but still, we're at half a tank even now, and that's been... We didn't fill up at all in Canada. Purposely so. Because the gas, was, the fuel was just too expensive, and we could afford not to not to fuel up. So our trip in, in Vancouver Island was uh, fuel-free, and even <laughs> we were surprised, I think, at how small Vancouver Island really was. People talk about it and spending a lot of time there. And, and we went to one of the visitor centers, and the, the girl said, well, this, this island is one of the biggest islands in Canada, which, of course, is not true at all. I don't know that in Canada. 
Well, Nova Scotia and Labrador both are oh, okay. much bigger. That's a province. That's not an island. Newfoundland is an island. But that's a province. But it's also an island. Yeah, I think and that's Labrador what she was is an island. The point being that even though uh, she was a resident of Vancouver Island, she had never been to the far <laughs> north. It's that which, we went. Which is what we're we were, be there for two weeks. Which is what we were asking her about, and she said, "Oh, it could take you ten hours to make that drive." And it took us more like six or seven. And, it's 300 miles. And she'd never been there. So it's all in what you're used to. And that's one of the things we have to talk about, and that is when you are planning your trip, it's very hard. This, this is going to sound really strange. It's very hard to use the Chamber of Commerce information in order to make decisions about what to see. And, and being here in Anacortes, Washington, is a good example of it because... They always give this very rosy picture about everything that there is to do. As they should. As they should. That's their job. But they offer no comparison as to what it really is in terms of sightseeing in the United States or, or sightseeing in the, in, the, the in the world. And we've run across this a number of times. And this can be equally true for uh, more varied sources like TripAdvisor, because as I read entry, entries yes. people have written, I always wonder, well, who are they? What's their life experience? What's important to them as right. opposed to me? Right. Um, so when you are going to an area like Vancouver Island that was really quite unfamiliar to us. We had a very hard time evaluating what we read and making good decisions about where to go. Because I just answered an email today about somebody who spent three weeks on Vancouver Island. Uh, they didn't tell us what they did, but I can't imagine, uh, in, unless you're a kayaker or just love the out-of-doors hiking, uh, why you would spend three weeks there. Um, am I going to get in trouble? <laughs> It depends on what you like to do. Yeah. And to be fair, we were there shortly before the season starts, yeah. which had its advantages in that we were able to travel between campgrounds without a lot of reservations, sure. and and it was easy to make the next move. But sometimes when we made the next move, the main attractions in that area were not quite open yet. Yeah, but the, the, the attractions were not world class or even in a class with other places in the United States. And this has been, this is to me a significant issue that uh, you need to be able to evaluate your destination in terms of your perspective. Your life experience. And that if you talk to people who have, who have not traveled and they have only vacationed in areas. Near nearby, home, near home. then they can't make. They can't really give you the perspective now that we want. That we want, and we <laughs> we have this kind of term that we use, and that's uh, world class. And on this trip, since in the last six months, what would you have considered to be world class? Venues. Well, a highlight of this trip for me was the Oregon coast. Yes, um, I definitely world class. It was spectacular, and there were lots of things to do there, even on rainy days, which we didn't have too many of, but still. Right. Uh, there were a lot of fun places to eat that weren't terribly expensive. Uh, there was a lot of good objective literature. Uh, in mm -hmm. particular, I liked a brochure I picked up in Gold Beach, I think it was called, that gave you advice on, on where to mile. stop along mm -hmm. the coast and where to take a little hike here in there and, and see the best stuff. And I really like the Oregon coast for that reason. So that was the Pacific Coast Highway. And it was good in California, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the Pacific Coast Highway, world class, well worth doing and recommending to foreign visitors, too. I mean, it would be something. San Francisco, world-class city. Oh, yes, no doubt. 
which we also visited. Okay. Well, and the other thing that I liked, again, was the Palm Springs area. Um, yes. We've been there before. I hope mm-hmm. we get to go there again. There just seems to be a lot to do there. I agree. Okay, so that's another place. Another one was Death, Death Valley. Valley. Death Valley shocked us because we were not expecting a world-class destination, but it was. Well, I wasn't. And I mean, we, Death Valley sounds boring. And it's ironic that we were surprised because we'd been there before, but we had only scratched the surface because we were still right. working and we didn't have a lot of time, and we really could explore it pretty thoroughly. We didn't go everywhere because it's a huge park, but Very, amazing. And we went back twice because we didn't do it all after the first In time. In a week. Yeah, so that was an interesting destination. Um, Las Vegas. Well, it, it's always fun, and even for people who don't gamble, like us. And it has lots of scenic stuff. Right outside of town. I mean, Las Vegas town. is not, right, just, right outside of town. not just glamour and glitz. It's also lots of uh, outdoorsy stuff. I mean, well worth visiting. Biking, hiking, and that's the kind of stuff we do there. Boating, if you want to go to Lake Mead. And scenic. Which Ghost we, towns. Right. So definitely Las Vegas. Okay. So some of the other places that we visited. <laughs> um, how about Washington State Peninsula? We, we, didn't, we didn't mention Olympic National Park yet. We'd been there before, and I remembered it as more amazing than it felt this exactly. time. The rainforest area was... Well, we'd seen a lot of... I think part of it suffers because we'd already seen a lot of stuff like that. Uh-huh. There comes well, a point where but, things start being same. But it wasn't world-class, I don't think. I mean, the the views and the things that you had to see, that, that they had to see, were not spectacular. They were nice, nice but not world-class. To us. To us. Yes, of course. These are our, obviously our opinions. Vancouver Island. I'm glad Victoria. I Victoria is the most it's the city. significant part of Vancouver Island and what for tourism. Right. Uh, Bouchard Gardens was amazing for the third time, Very even nice. though Ken didn't want to go there again. Um, <laughs> but we well, didn't have anything else to do. And there are things that are like uh, whale watching for orcas, which we did not do because we have done that before. But if you had In never, world-class destinations. But if you've never done that before, it could be an amazing experience to see orcas feed. And we saw them in that area, but right. we saw them on a cruise. So we don't right. want to sell Vancouver Island too short, I guess is what I'm saying. But if you want, if you're looking for hiking and that sort of stuff, it's it's very nice, but it's not special, I don't think. I guess I would say there are many, many places in the Northwest, including can, Vancouver Island, where you can do some Olympic. great hiking. Um, and from and why, our, go, why, but why go to Vancouver Island? From my perspective, one was not better than uh-huh. another. I would agree. I did enjoy the ferry experience, though, going to and Uh from. Um, It was very fun to see how they organized the traffic because uh, in this area there are tons of little islands between Canada and Seattle, and people have homes on them, and those homes and towns have to be supplied for food and gas. And so they have a well-organized ferry system. We took Washington ferries because they were significantly cheaper at this point in time to the ones from British Columbia. Yes. And uh, they had they were so well organized. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed watching how they handled, especially oddly shaped traffic, like this fleet of people who came with kayaks mm-hmm. on little hand trucks that they were wheeling around that didn't fit very well through customs and immigration. Um, but they got everybody organized and were very quick. 
Right, and on schedule and, and all of that sort of good stuff. And just as a point of interest, uh, it cost us about $250 each way to go to Vancouver Island. And we had to disconnect our car because it was cheaper. We didn't have to, but well, we were we, advised to. Because we, we it was cheaper. You could leave it connected, but it was you would have had to pay more money. That included the RV, the car, and two people. So and if you're thinking about going on a ferry, uh, be sure to contemplate the costs involved. I don't think I would do it again to Vancouver Island with the RV. You'd go on in hotels? No, I wouldn't go. You just wouldn't go. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would go for the day to Victoria. Because I think to go there, I was glad I had my RV. Mm-hmm. I was glad I didn't have to look for hotels and eat oh, yeah. all the time, just like we were going yeah, to it would have been very expensive. Yeah, it was cost-effective to do the right, RV right. for the kind of time that we were there. So, And I hope we're not offending any listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to add, because we were separated from one another, getting on and off the ferries, we occasionally mm-hmm. lost each other. You have to go through immigration and customs. Separately. And it was nice to have walkie-talkies with each other, to keep mm-hmm. in touch with each other when I couldn't actually see where Ken was, because we needed to get get reconnected once we got off the boat. <laughs> So, other world-class things that we saw on this trip? <laughs> Can you think back? I can't remember where I was. Yes. Los Alamos and Las Cruces were nice, but not spectacular. White Sands. White Sands was I was, was glad nice. I got to see it, but... I was surprised that they were featured on the Today Show as one of the nicest national parks in the country. Well, it's well, nice to show people things that, that they, they haven't, haven't heard seen. of. And and I think that was part of our problem in Vancouver Island uh-huh. that we had we were very unfamiliar with what was there, and had a ho- tough time evaluating it. I would like to uh, point out to our listeners that there is a new National Geographic book that's a 2016 copyright that lists all of the tricky details for all of the national parks parks in the United States, and. Surprisingly enough, I saw it in the National Park gift store in in uh, Death Valley, and then I looked online, and it was available from uh, as a electronic book. So now we have this book, and if you are thinking or trying to compare, this has all of the national parks and the same information about all of them, so that you can see it with lots of nice geographic National Geographic pictures. So that's a nice feature, and you might want to take a look at this book. I think it was about fifteen dollars and get it electronically or you can purchase it and um, use it as a reference tool it's not exactly a tabletop book but for planning if you're thinking about going to various other national parks in the national park system certainly we we do enjoy our national parks and they are all have something worthwhile but some are better than others let's face it yeah i would say my philosophy is if it's a national park it or must national have, monument it must have something there that i need to see and i try to go right, see them right. as much as possible i was a little disappointed in olympic national park it it doesn't have the vast array of different things to see i mean you've got the coast the whole there were some nice beaches there. Very Rialto nice. Rialto Beach was, but, was very nice. Very nice, but no better than some of the beaches along the Pacific Oregon Coast, Coast Highway. Yeah. And the rainforest was, hello. Well, and it suffered because there were many places to walk there that were not open because they'd had so many bad storms last winter that all the trees fell down and blocked all the paths. So. And it wasn't a matter of not... We had perfect weather there. Yeah. I mean, it was 75 degrees yeah, was and sunny, <laughs> which you don't expect in a rainforest. And then we went to Hurricane Ridge on the other side and... 
you drove to the top of a mountain and you saw a lot of other mountains and there but they were. You can were. do that in so many different places. And there they and were. And the more spectacular. How about uh, Patagonia? Ooh, we're putting her to the test now. What about it? World class? I don't know. Yeah. So our interim trip in the middle of our RVing vacation here to Patagonia was interesting. And I have to say that after Patagonia, I kept comparing the mountains and lakes that we saw there to the mountains and lakes we were seeing Uh, here, and it didn't do too well. No. And part of that, I think, was weather also, to be fair. Well, we had pretty good weather there, but... They said we had good weather, but I felt like we had... It was cold. Mediocre weather is what I would say. (laughs) So, dear listener, I guess the bottom line is carefully consider your destinations and the comparisons that you make and the people that you hear giving you opinions need to be evaluated in terms of what they know uh, so that you can make a... Is it true for you, too? You need to find somebody who's who thinks like you who's already been there. That would be ideal. Okay. so <laughs> Well, and we found some people like that. I mean, you know, we, we had the diary of somebody who spent the whole uh, some time in, in Vancouver Island and we gave us lots of good tips. And, and we met work campers who enjoyed the Olympic Peninsula so much they came back for a I second know. year. Oh, see, that's, so, yeah, yeah it's, it's hard to make those evaluations. So don't take what we say as gospel. but uh, only our opinion. But And that's why we like to travel, because we like to go and make these evaluations on our own, because really the only person who can do that is you. And it's interesting to make these comparisons. So go if you ask us, yourself. we will tell you our honest opinion, ladies and gentlemen, but... It may not be what you want to hear. You may not agree with us. And that's okay. And that's true of campgrounds, too, because campgrounds uh, offer a wide variety of different uh, camping styles, shall we say. And I think I'm surprised that we can fit in a wide variety of different different campgrounds. National parks, state parks. We were just in one yesterday. Nice right here in Olympic National Park, a state park that had plenty of space for us. In terms of the sites, they were full, but we could have easily fit in there. We look, though, how do we choose a campground? We use RV Park Reviews the most. Yes. Well, the ideal campground would be have no washrooms, would have wide open skies. No laundry room. No laundry room. No playground. Right, no playground. It would have low prices. And it would have a beautiful view out the front window. Mm-hmm. That would be our ideal. Now, picnic table would be nice. Fire pic- ring. Oh yeah, would be picnic nice. table. Oh yeah, and all of that. All of that would be very critical. And nobody around us, <laughs> <laughs> except one of you, dear listeners. Yes, it would be nice to have a few friends around us. Now, this is very different than the kind of campground that you probably look for. So people ask us, you know, where are your favorite campgrounds? And we have often said we don't particularly like KOAs. Why don't we like KOAs? Because they have stuff we don't need. Exactly, and we're paying for it. On this trip, we've gone from zero to $65 in terms of how much per night uh, in terms of what we've paid. Some of the sites have been worth it and some of of them haven't. And... We have often paid for things that we just plain didn't need. Oh, it would be nice to have super good Wi-Fi, too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
How could we put that <laughs> at 50 amp? <laughs> be able to stream movies. That's another thing I've missed when we've been gone this oh, long. Yeah. There have been so many things that have come out that I would like to see, but we can never stream anything with this lifestyle. So that's been a bummer. I'm going to be a couch potato when we get home. Yeah, we're, we, have, we have certainly a lot to see. But I have to say, in all honesty, that I think we've stayed in a campground that did not have Wi-Fi. Death Valley. Death Valley mm-hmm. National Park. Didn't have any Wi-Fi? No. It had it close by. No. Oh, had it in the, in the visitor center. Oh, do we use it? No. Yeah. Well, we couldn't pick it up even with the Rogue. Well, I guess the national parks can say, and the state parks can say, well, to heck with that. Yeah. But private campgrounds have had Wi-Fi. And this has been a big change. And, and most of the Wi-Fi has been fairly decent. Has been better. Certainly good enough for doing email and uploading our blog pictures and web pages. And we have railed about this. I've had a little bit of ranting and raving on (laughs) this particular topic for a long time. And I think only now are we seeing the fruits of that because I have this report. And, of course, the link is uh, available on the show show notes notes webpage. The Campgrounds of America... Campers stated that they valued Wi-Fi at campgrounds as much as whether or not the campground was kid-friendly or allowed them to bring pets. Well, that's a big step forward. The report also called out that 31% of the campers who are online while camping are using social media like Twitter and Facebook to share their experiences at the campsite which is logical, Wi-Fi was quickly becoming equivalent to a utility. And with all of the resources delivered via the Internet nowadays, like email, social media platforms, and streaming music and, and movie websites, having a wireless network that can deliver is an essential piece of a good business plan. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I think if owners of campgrounds hear this, they will include good Wi-Fi, which we've had a variety of different Wi-Fis, uh, as part of the package when you check in. Almost every place it's been free. Mm-hmm. Although there were a few places where you could opt for better service by paying a little bit extra. And people often have this problem with understanding what bandwidth is, and I think this gives a good explanation of that. One key aspect to remember, however, is that whenever the system is in place to supply Wi-Fi to guests is only as good as the available bandwidth that it can harness. Bandwidth is a synonym for data transfer rate, or the amount of data that can be carried from one point to another within a given period of time. Network bandwidth is usually expressed in bits per second, BPS. Bandwidth is a limited resource and must be shared by all users on the network. If 25 computers are streaming a movie from Netflix, then the bandwidth will be split into 25 parts. In other words, if there is 100 megabits per second available and each movie watcher gets 4 megabits to stream their movie, for Netflix HD streaming, Netflix says it takes 5. So 100 megabits is quite a lot. Campgrounds need to be aware of this. Bandwidth in campgrounds is distributed to guests by a Wi-Fi network established based on the hardware installed on the, in the campground. Creating a hotspot near the office or store for guests to check their emails will require very little hardware. But as guests are expecting Wi-Fi in their tents... <laughs> 
or RVs, a large system with current up-to-date hardware is needed to meet those expectations. The hardware can only go as far as it's being is what's being fed to it. So the bottom line is if you see a strong Wi-Fi signal, does that determine how much bandwidth you have? No. Why? Because it Where does the bandwidth come from? What do you mean? The bandwidth... <laughs> She's totally perplexed. The bandwidth comes from the Internet supplier. Yeah. So it doesn't come from the Wi-Fi. This is often something that people right, get very right. confused about. But do you understand this? Yeah, and the, and the other factor to me... Ask like, me some questions. Like in this park, when we got here, it was 60% full. And I have seen a drastic decline in the Wi-Fi now that the park is totally full and it's rainy outside and everybody is inside <laughs> using it. So that's a factor, too. Well, that, well, that's exactly what we're talking about here. You know, you have 100 megabits, and if you have 25 people streaming it, then everybody gets a only a chunk of that. And then I remember one of our favorite parks in Tucson, they had the, what, the antennas, the cells, too low. Access points. So it would be very easy to be blocked from a very good signal by somebody's motorhome that was between you and the signal. So that was a factor. Right. There are a lot of variables here. And that's one of the problems with Wi-Fi is, is that there are so many variables and that mine might be good and the next-door neighbors might be bad, which is why we carry the satellite dish because it provides us with consistent bandwidth that we have sole access to. As long as there isn't a tree. As long as there isn't a tree. However, uh, we have decided to abandon the satellite internet with some trepidation because it's expensive and very limited bandwidth cell phone service is getting better and better in our country Uh, we have no immediate plans to go out of the country for the foreseeable future there have only been a couple of times when we have needed oh i remember in death valley we didn't have we didn't have wi-fi but we had cell source no we had cell service too so we had cell data so wi-fi uh, is important and it's superseded our need for the satellite dish. So we're going to be abandoning the satellite because it costs you know eighty dollars a month. <laughs> and you're going to have pictures of me up on the roof. <laughs> you have to go up on the roof. Well, I have to take the satellite dish down. Well, I thought we were getting a different one. Well, it's on the roof. Let them do it. Who? The person we're buying a new one. What do you mean? <laughs> No. No, you and I are going to do it together. I don't think so. I don't. <laughs> she doesn't go on the roof. Anyway, if you'd like to read this whole article, uh, please refer to the link on the show notes webpage. We have a residential fridge, and it has been great that we don't any longer have to worry about uh, cleaning it out. And that, Well, <laughs> cleaning it out we have to worry about. But we don't have to get into the back of it to to worry about uh, burning. Burning. <laughs> But I would like to mention that as the summer, I said that right, didn't yeah. I? Yeah. <laughs> that as the summer season comes up. <laughs> this is the first holiday of okay, the this summer. Is, okay, this, that as you get out and using your RV, that you take a look at your uh, RV fridge, if it's an absorptive type, in other words, it's propane and, and electric, and that you take a look at the backside of it and do some a little bit of cleaning. The chimney, there's heat at the bottom and then there's a chimney at the top. Ours had fans at the top, and you need to make sure that those fans are running to pull the air up through and make sure that nobody has made little houses up there or live, is living in there, that the cobwebs are gone, because this could be a very 
dangerous situation. It's one of the most dangerous things in your RV uh, that you have to worry about, and that's the how the fridge is going to perform. So clean that guy out, make sure that everything is working well, and take a look at the rust. And if your fridge is more than five or six years old, it has probably too much rust in it, and you need to replace the element. How do you do that? You take it to somebody. <laughs> You don't have to go on the roof for that? <laughs> well, who knows? And this is just a critical factor because every every month we read about fires caused by fridges uh, either erupting and, and the f- fluid coming out and catching fire, or else it overheats because there's, or your fridge is not very efficient because the flu is not open. And you lose your food. So I want to stress that and... Uh, I tell you that I'm very glad that we don't, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, although our fridge always worked good, I kept it clean. But we replaced we, it. And we replaced the guts, the guts. of it. Uh-huh. And when you replace it, you don't replace the inside. You just replace the stuff on the outside. The stuff that's making it cool. Or the stuff that's making it cool. So that's fairly easy. And, well, I would like to say it's reasonably cost, but it's not. It's expensive. But It's better than having a fire it's in your fridge. And that's uh, absolutely key. Okay, so let's talk about, uh, let's have an email. We have had a lot of emails this month, and we've met a lot of nice listeners. And I think one of the things that's helped us is we have our little sign on the back. Yeah, they're sure. Says, they can easily they, tell they know that, it's us. that it's us. But we had a couple walk over to us just yesterday, and they were so nice, and, and we gave them a bumper sticker. And, and they gave us a bottle of wine. And they gave it. <sighs> why? We're so happy just to meet you that uh, it's it's fun. And we've how many? we've met at least... Ten listeners, probably on this trip. Yeah. Mostly unplanned. Most, oh, yeah, virtually all of them unplanned. People when they hear we're in the area, and because we on the web page we have a little link that shows you uh, our exact location. People have actually found us, tracked and, us down. Yeah, this has always surprised us, but we're always happy to meet you. So continue to check with the web page and see where we are. Anyway, we also get good emails from our listeners too, and this one, this. Uh, a listener brings up some good questions. Uh, she makes some very nice comments about uh, our podcast, which we are always happy to hear. They are currently in a 30-foot Class A, oh, wait, yes, no, a 33-foot Allegro open road. And they've been driving since 1993 and are experienced, I would right, say. Right, and, and they are planning on retiring in the near future. We will be retiring in June, so things have changed, and we will now be able to travel whenever we want. Yay. I have several questions, which I hope you could provide provide advice on Da-da-da-da! we are the advice givers <laughs> okay so number question number one for the first time after all these years we will be towing a car and that seems strange where do the, what have they been doing up until now i'm not a nervous driver but i do find this a bit daunting as i was as i don't know what to expect it's not being able to back up part that scares me especially where they when we're in gas stations I have mapped out flying J's and pilot gas stations along the interstates because I think they are they have plenty of space to pull through. Although I'm not positive about this. Uh, what about the many times when we are in small towns with tiny gas stations? Any thoughts on this? Don't go to tiny gas stations. <laughs> oh, you're a really big help. Uh, I don't find this to be a problem at all. Well, to, Frankly. Be, to be fair, though, with our style of travel, what we usually do when we're not going to a Flying J or something like that is we are in an area, 
and we are disconnected, right. and we drive around with our Jeep and look at the gas stations. Right. We look for good prices, and we look for accessibility. And often when we're off the major highways, we would go to a local gas station because the price is better than it is at the Flying right. J, and, and fuel, and then hook up the car after that task is finished, if it's at all tight. Right. That works out very well. And as a matter of fact, we, are, we did this yesterday. We are going to be filling up at a local gas station, and we went out to dinner, and we kind of looked at gas stations, and we... Strategized found, how strategized. to get in, how to get out. Right. And decided whether or not we want to hook up before we leave. And so we are going to go to that station tomorrow, and it will be uh, no, non-issue because we picked a good uh, gas station that uh, is easy to get in and out of. But I can remember one time early in our towing life when <laughs> the driver made a slight miscalculation. And who would that be? And we had to undo the Jeep from the motorhome so that he could maneuver his way back out. It was annoying. We were probably in people's way, but we did it, and then we reconnected and we went on. It was not that big so, of a deal. Towing a car is not a big deal at all, and I don't. In terms of driving, I don't even know it's back there. Uh, very nice that I have the rearview camera because then I can tell when I'm past vehicles on the on the side and tell when I can pull in after I pass them, or, or I can see when we're going around a corner. You know, if the car is going <laughs> to whack into something, uh, which has never happened, but it's nice to know that it's back there. So I don't consider. Then a problem. And when the navigator makes a mistake, which she hardly ever does, and we have to turn around, uh, it probably means that Ken will have to drive quite a bit farther than you would in a car before you can turn around. But we always find some big parking lot or a yeah. widening in the road or something that's big enough for us to turn around. I can only remember remember two times when we've had to disconnect. Right. Is that, yeah, that seems <laughs> and once it was because we were on our way to Alaska, we pulled into a, a parking lot, and it was full of snow. Right. <laughs> and I got in, and, and uh, you couldn't there, go anywhere. I couldn't go anywhere, so that was a problem. And the other time was in a ooh, in a storm situation, and we were on roads that were not compatible with our rig because we had to right. get off the interstate. Right. And so we had, you know, we just unhooked and and because it's nice to have two people because that means that you can have the other person drive the car. So uh, that in that case we had to drive a ways to to before we could rehook up because we were un, very unfamiliar with the roads and the GPS just wasn't helping us out. So there are some situations but overall it's just not a problem. And I want to make sure that you get yourself connected up with your equipment correctly um, I assume that you mentioned that you're using you're going to you're going to tow a Ford C-Max I'm not sure what that is don't know about that car but every year Motorhome Magazine puts out a pamphlet which tells you which cars can be towed and which can't it is surprising to many people that you cannot tow four down many cars for instance no Toyotas can you tow, tow four down with an automatic transmission. We tow a Jeep Grand Cherokee because it is one push and one so button easy. push so to get it ready to tow. There are lots of other cars that you can tow, but you have to do various things to make them. Uh, you have to put them into a certain gear. You have to put the... You or have to take out... every 200 miles and Yeah, you can only tow them for a certain amount of time. You have to take out a fuse. You have to mess around. So ours is very easy to tow. Uh, all of the four-wheel drive Jeeps are, I believe. Of course, manual transmissions are not really much of an issue. And you want to tow four down, I would say. So if you have a car, 
and you're thinking about buying a car and using it for towing, you want to make sure that it is on the list of towables because that's critical. And it's going to cost you a fair fair amount of bucks in order to make it towable. You have to buy what's called a base plate and have it installed. That's what the tow system, the tow bar, connects up to. So that's going to cost you $800, and then the tow bar is several hundred dollars, and then you have to have lights, uh, connection to the lighting system put in, and then you have to have a supplemental braking system. So all totaled, it's going to cost you close to $3,000 to set up a car for towing. But once you get it done, it only takes 10 minutes to hook it up. If that. If that. It's it's quite quite fast and easy to hook up. And I would not hesitate at all to hook it up behind a 30. She has a 33-foot Allegro. That's no problem at all. But she's worried about turning around and backing up. Right. And, of course, you can't back up. But, I mean, if you were to put somebody in the car holding the steering wheel, you could back up quite a ways. But it would be scary. Well, you could, but you, but what you the problem is, is that when you, back, when you, it's not really too much of an issue. You're going to see it in your rearview camera if you need, if you can't back up, because the, you're going to see the car jackknife, and you're going to be going very slow so that you can stop it in the mid process. But if you put somebody back there to hold the st- the wheel straight, you could back up quite a ways using your walkie talkies. My mindset is ever forward. <laughs> And we've had no problem with that. Right. And when we come into a campground, it's not an issue. We we say to them, you know, where do we unhook? Do we have to unhook to, to use this site? And they will say yes or no. And we unhook at the office or at some other convenient place. And we, dro- we both drive to the campsite. Now, the one we're in here is a pull-in, which is kind of unusual in the Midwest. We don't see many pull-ins. But this one is pull-in because we have a view. So we could drive here and unhook at the site, which is very convenient. And then we'll hook up when we leave. That's question number one. Did I spend enough time on that? Yeah, I think you did. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, my goodness. We're 43 minutes already. September, October, we'll be taking the southern route across the country with the intent of visiting Florida, the East Coast, and fall colors in New England before we head home. Several questions about this trip. Any recommendations regarding places to visit and stay? Well, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are a lot of them. I would say... Listen to the podcast. <laughs> a surprise for someone who's not from that area is that the New England area is quite congested and crowded mm-hmm. and old, and the campgrounds are expensive and not spacious. But that doesn't mean that I think you shouldn't go there. Uh, my favorite for fall colors... Well, that's not true. I was going to say my favorite is Maine, but that's because I love the craggy coast. There's so many scenic places to go. Um, But because you are on the coast in Maine, the fall colors don't get very good because you don't get those nice nippy temperatures that help send the winds along. Our, Our strategy when we were there was because the fall colors come to Maine's coast after the interior like vermont and new hampshire right massachusetts we did the coast we did the coast first and then went into the interior so we didn't see fall colors in maine we just in saw wonderful scenery right in maine. which is fabulous I definitely was, world-class i was also surprised that the season ended sooner than i thought it would uh we had some bookings toward the end of october uh-huh. and we were in areas i remember upstate new york at that point that were pretty much shut down um so the colors weren't so bad but any sort of infrastructure that we were looking for it was all over. That's an outstanding memory. To and me. I felt that it was. We were very lucky 
and I and everybody has to be lucky because we didn't know exactly where to go, and we read the guides, and there's the peepers guide to you know look for the covered bridges because they are often very scenic. Look for the rivers, but we found things just driving around, just driving around that were uh, fabulous, and I'm sure we missed some things too. But looking, <laughs> it's interesting. I felt that. The weather we had was bad. I felt that we didn't get a lot of good pictures when we were there. But when I got home and looked at the stuff we have... We had a lot of good pictures. We had a lot of good pictures. We had a lot of good weather. Mount Washington was fabulous. And and you need to look at the websites that have uh, the listings about where to go. because And they, they're live so that people are putting in content as you go. In terms of reservations, the only time that I remember being a bit crunchy was the Columbus Day weekend because mm-hmm. there were enough people who had the three-day weekend then and that was the only time I remember it being a little more crowded and I was glad we had a reservation. But otherwise, we could pretty much float around. I think our general pattern is to look ahead for the next week or so and decide where we want to go next and call up and make sure that we can. Yeah. And sometimes we don't get our first choice campground but we always get in the vicinity of where we want to go. Something else I want to add that we have really not experienced ourselves, but I have been sensitized to by my sister, is that if you started your trip, well, if you did your trip in reverse order and followed the fall colors south, there are amazing fall colors in the Appalachians, in Georgia, in North Carolina, South Carolina, lots of nice forests there with lots of good color. We have not personally experienced this, but it's on my mental list of things to maybe do sometime. Yeah, and if you point. do the trip in reverse order, you wouldn't get to Florida until hurricane season was overish, which mm-hmm. might be a good idea as well. And then you could spend the winter down in Florida. Or whatever. So you might want to go across the northern part of the United States, do some of the do, national parks Do the trip there. backwards. And then you could come to Chicago and visit us and then go down through mm-hmm. all the nice areas. And if you did that later on in the season, that would be, yeah, that's a nice idea. I, you're going to have to just look at our blog. Yeah. You know, Mar- we're, we're Martha's about- blog lists every place we've been and what we think of it. <laughs> so, so we've been to all these places. When are they leaving? Well, September, October, we're taking the southern route across the yeah, country. Yeah, see, with I, intent in my opinion, the fall is too early to go south because it's going to be too hot. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, would, I, I would at least do the middle. No, even the northern part of the country will still be nice in September for sure. sure. September's our nicest month. Yeah. Yeah, that's I. I think I would agree with that. And September could be a little bit late for fall colors in New England. You better get there by September. We left home right after Labor Day and went to New England. To see <laughs> you know, the fall this, colors. this makes me think. You know, I'm reading this again. September, October, we'll be taking the southern route across the country, intending to visit, intend of visiting Florida and the East Coast. Too much. Too much. <laughs> Well, that's what you do the first year. I know. This is the first year of retirement. They're trying to do it all in one trip. And And that's just not feasible. if you are blessed with old age, you will have time to do it all at a much more leisurely pace. This is just an impossible trip to, to, and she says, September, October. That's just not feasible. Right. You just can't do that. We spent September, October in in New England. Exactly. And we didn't get any farther than that. Right. And remember, you want to visit visit TGO in, in Titusville in Florida. There's just just too much to to visit here. In our opinion. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Listen to the beginning of the podcast for the information. Okay, so that's question number two. (laughs) Question number three. 
do I need to make reservations ahead of time for our September-October trip? We learned the hard way about 10 years ago that it was difficult to get a spot on the fly without reservations during the summer months. We love the state and provincial parks, but now and then... We need to do laundry and get hooked up to cable TV. We will need a nice stay at a nice resort, but we are picky about where we stay and research possible campgrounds thoroughly before we travel. Good. Now she says, we research possible campgrounds thoroughly before we travel. I think we do it as, I would not, as, I would, as we travel. I would not fix the itinerary. Just Labor Day. You need somewhere yeah, yeah. to stay Just Labor on the Day. holidays. I would not fix the itinerary in advance and I would not do much reservation planning before because you just don't know. And on this trip, we've gone six months and we have made reservations other than day of reservations where we call ahead just to make sure they have space. We have made reservations three times, four for times. For the ferry. Well, I'm talking about for campgrounds. Yeah. What we just you just don't need to do that, especially in September and October. Once you're away from the summer holidays when all the families are out. Right, which is why we're going home now, because we're letting the families have we're the holidays. We're getting out of their way. So I would rethink some parts of this, uh, Karen, mm-hmm. and make sure that you have the retired mindset. <laughs> which takes a while <laughs> which to takes develop. A while. Yeah. yeah, you're trying to do too much in one trip. This is at least a... The trip you're planning there is at least six months. <laughs> at least. Well, they're tra- they're coming from California yeah, and going way. all the way around the bottom of the We're United States. We're dreading doing half of that just to get home. We have talked a long time here. So, dear listener, we have rattled on, prattled on for a long time here, and we appreciate you sticking with us and listening to the bitter end. And we are hoping to see you in a campground near us in the not-too-distant future. Except um, we won't be in a campground. Well, for the next few, few days, we will be. We hope to be home by first week of June, and we have lined up a place to park the old RV, and we will be parked for several months yeah. as we do other types of travel and enjoy Chicago's summer weather, which, is, my, which is much nicer than it is here. And my good Wi-Fi, my deep freeze, and <laughs> decent counter space. <laughs> Her big house and 100-amp service. Yeah. No, our house isn't big. It just seems big after we get back from yes, one indeed. of these trips. So, dear listener, we appreciate you listening, and we hope that you'll stick with us and send us an email if you have questions, uh, and we will <laughs> try to answer them. This one certainly got our juices well, going, well, yes, indeed. Well, it sounds like a fabulous time, and we look forward to uh, your travels because uh, this is uh, an exciting time to be out traveling. And most of our listeners will be traveling this summer, so have a good, good vacation as you head out onto the open roads to get the RV spirit. <laughs> that was pretty trite and platitudinous. <laughs> okay, okay, so... <laughs> if I do say so. Okay, so you ended up. Come up with a platitude better than that. We wish you a wonderful summer and happy travels. Bye for now. That's it? That's it. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye.